Welcome to the Mortison Tenon Magazine podcast, where we're celebrating historic furniture making. This is episode number 39. I'm Mike Uptograph. And I'm Joshua Klein. And we have uh, this week, actually, tomorrow, essentially, is the last official day, the last official office hours that we record for our apprenticeship program. Yep. Term two of the apprenticeship program is all wrapped up almost uh yeah it's been it's an, this eight week program is uh it's, it's pretty intense i think all of our students are uh rightly exhausted yes justly exhausted our goal is to burn them out <laughs> so they they turn away from woodworking and take up a, a sedentary hobby mm-hmm. like television watching yeah. you thought you wanted to be a woodworker <laughs> yeah we you showed you <laughs> No, yeah, but it uh, sounds like our plans have, are have failed because they're all yeah. like super inspired and they yeah. want to go make make more stuff. We'll so, have to work on that. Yeah, make it more miserable. Push them harder. <clears throat> yeah, we don't have like a like a hell week or anything. No, that might be. A- I mean, the the closest parallel would be like Greenwood Week, where we tell them to go into the woods and cut down a tree. Yeah, but for some reason, they all seem to love that. Yeah, so D- dovetails. Mortise and tenons, dados, all that's pretty straightforward. But yeah. cutting a tree down, we thought we'd push them over the edge. it up. And they just love it. Yeah. Um, and it's it's so much fun from our end to see uh, everybody posts in the forum that we have for the program. They share their they share videos of felling trees and writhing. And uh, it's just so cool to see all that. Yeah, and Joaquim, uh, uh, Joaquim is our TA for the program. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just wrote a blog post on our blog. Yep. Um, and he has uh, talked about uh, Term 2 and uh, some of the students there and what they've been working on. So um, you can hop on our blog and, and look for our, our Term 2 blog post, uh, Joaquim talking about that, some pictures from the, the students. So um, we have our new, uh, our new term registration for that opens February 4th. Uh, that's Friday, February 4th. So it's, it's like a week from the recording of this. Uh, when yeah. you hear this, it's a, in about a week. Um, so yeah, sign up. Uh, this program it runs quarterly, and it's a blast. It is. Uh, we uh, also have been working hard on issue 12. Uh, that's coming together. We're into the final stage of editing author's manuscripts. You're starting on design. Yeah, We're design. like, you, you've created your your creative space, right? You have a white room and you bring your markers in mm. and you draw and you listen to some like, some of that like 440 hertz music or whatever mm. it is. Yeah. What's the creative frequency? I don't even know. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, you should be listening to that right now. <clears throat> uh, yeah. So uh, we have a lot of gorgeous pictures. Um, it's, yeah, there are some particular standouts, I think, in this issue. Yeah. Uh, there's one article in particular that we saw one of the photographs and we said, we're running this yeah. article. <laughs> it could just be a photo essay, but we want this one. And in fact, the article's great it's too. The article so it works was awesome, out. but it was like, that was the initial like, oh yeah, Look this at is that. so exactly what we want to be uh, sharing with our readers. Yeah. Um, so we will be uh, blogging about the table of contents starting next week. Mm-hmm. Um, every day we uh, announce <clears throat> another article. So it'll be two weeks worth of blog posts uh, talking about the, the new articles, the new uh, stories that are being told. So yeah. uh, check out our blog for that. Um, also in the news, uh, Grace got a new dog. <laughs> okay. She got a husky puppy. Uh, his name's Magnus, and he came mm-hmm. to visit us last week. Uh, and if you want to see a Magnus video and yeah. photos, they're over on the 
Daily Dispatch. See, I feel embarrassed that we're even <laughs> announcing this because that's not news. But it's funny because on the Daily Dispatch, um, we you know every day we post pictures and videos of shop tips and woodworking, <clears throat> you know, ideas and tools and antique furniture, joinery, and all this cool stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we posted you a post picture a cute of this little puppy, a little puppy, <laughs> and it's, you know we got someone saying like, "Oh, that's the best video the you best guys have posted post so ever. far." Like, oh my goodness! So we're going to become <laughs> Mortis and Tenon fluffy, cute animals on the Daily Dispatch. Everybody's yeah. going to love it. We need more goats on there. Yeah, I could put my goats. Cute on there. goats. Um, also, today is my wife's birthday. Happy birthday, Megan! Happy birthday, Megan. We yeah. got up early and made her an omelet and bacon, and she opened presents, and it was great. Nice. So we'll have some cake and stuff tonight. <laughs> nice. It's a lot to lot to be happy about and yeah. look forward to. Um, so today we wanted to talk about the thing that's been occupying, besides those things that we just mentioned. Besides everything. <clears throat> besides everything, this one thing has been occupying our focus uh, lately, and we are really diving into um, getting some detailed planning and stuff in the works. But that is uh, the subject of uh, this old house, <laughs> no, and not, not the, the one you're thinking not of. The TV sh- a different old house. <laughs> yeah, my, my old house. Who remembers Bob Vila? Who who has been? I mean, I'm hoping that most of our listeners remember Bob Vila on this old house. That's the this old house I remember from my childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know they've. They've moved on down to a number of different hosts, but Bob Vila always reminds me of this old house. And so now uh, Joshua is taking the role of Bob Vila. He's no, the- no, I'm not. I'm not <laughs> taking over a television show. No, 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 no. <laughs> but you are. You will be the mastermind of our own episode. Uh, the episode lasting a year or more of this old house. Right, I think you're going to don the tool belt. Are going to be very confused thinking yeah. we're starting a TV show. <laughs> There's no television going on. Well, unless you count the dispatch yeah, videos. Um, no, this is the com- full and complete reconstruction and restoration of a very old house. Yep. Uh, yeah, the house uh, is a 200 year old house, uh, maybe around 1810 ish. Uh, we don't really know. Um, it could be anywhere from 1790 to. 1820s 1830s at the at the uh, latest but um it's sort of a disparity between uh some of the records that survive for mm. the the property and also some of the construction things and the, just there's contradictory evidence so i'm still trying to sort that out so we'll just split the difference and say it's an 1810 cape um so yeah we'll be it's it's been in storage for six years and so we're, we're about to put it up we're about to yeah uh, restore the joinery and put up that whole thing. So we wanted to tell that story and talk about that project uh, here in the podcast because uh, we're not going to stop talking about it f- yeah. for a while. And it's going to be, um, <clears throat> you know, when we did the Carpenters Without Borders project where we had these uh, international carpenters uh, building a, a timber frame from logs from scratch uh, with axes, that project we talked about a lot. Um, and it, be, the reason we did that is not because we're a timber framing publication. We're not, um, but it's this pre-industrial woodcraft f- focus, and we realized that this is, you know, mortise and tenon joinery to make a building is just a, a larger scale of mortise and tenon joinery for furniture. Yeah. So it fit perfectly, and it really embodied this, <clears throat> this uh, this beautiful 
uh, manual labor, this sweaty camaraderie, if you want to put it that way, of, of uh, building things together, building bridges instead of burning them down, <laughs> which right. is what we see so much today, right? Yeah. Um, and so that was uh, a great a project was a great embodiment of, of that kind of spirit that, of sharing and building. And so this uh, house project, um, I actually, as I mentioned, six years ago, I, I, my wife and I took the house down. But uh, we see this fitting into M&T in the same sort of way, uh, showing um, somebody in the 21st century taking a 200-year-old house home and to make it, to give it, breathe new life into it and give it uh, another life for another generation. Mm. Um, and, you know, how would, how would you do such a thing? How would you, how do you deal with insulation? And how do you deal with um, uh, modern amenities while still respecting the past? So that's, that's kind of the, the big picture of what we want to, why we're doing this, why we're talking about this here in the podcast, and why we're going to um, make this an M&T project for the next year Plus, plus a decade <laughs> yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's, it's interesting to me to think in terms of, you know, uh, we say uh, timeless craftsmanship is worth celebrating, right? And here um, we're looking at this project of the house and saying, well, this, this is a structure that was likely just going to be torn down, right? Mm-hmm. It was actually... Um, lowering the the price of the piece of property it was sitting on. Mm-hmm. It had been sitting abandoned for 40 years or so. And um and so basically when you when you guys first saw that house, you saw something there that was worth preserving and celebrating. Whereas other people like a developer would say, okay, that is liability. That's a few hours with a bulldozer and then a big bonfire. Yeah, that's expensive. And so Darn. right. And so all of that all yeah. of that um that work and craftsmanship that went into the structure is just bulldozed to make way for the new modular, right? Mm-hmm. That goes in, and that's that's sort of the way of things. But uh, you you saw it differently because yeah. you guys you guys were looking for a structure, right? Yeah. So the uh, the long story, <clears throat> real short, is basically uh, my wife and I we always wanted to build our own house. Um, you know, who doesn't want to do that? Mm-hmm. And and just to clarify, what I mean is, I mean our hands. I don't mean like. Um, hiring a contractor, building your own house that way. I mean, um, we wanted to grab hammers, learn how buildings are put together, how to run electrical and all that kind of stuff and build our own home. And that's a big project. That's a big uh, vision to try to take on. And so we thought, um, you know, we could build from scratch. We could, you know, look at different designs, everything from yurts to timber frame houses to, you know, whatever weirdness we invented out of our uh, mm-hmm. out, of the, out of the sky, straw bale, uh, cordwood. Yeah, I read living, all, I read those roof. books. And yeah, I, yeah, exactly. Um, and so, you know, what's a good fit for our climate here in Maine, and also for our uh, way of life that we wanted to to develop? So, um, we wanted to build our own place, but I also uh, loved uh, historic houses too. Um, but the notorious uh, thing about old houses is that you know when you buy an old house. Um, there's no insulation in it. It's, there's rot in the walls. It's just mm-hmm. it, it's it's a huge mess. And pe- everyone raccoons who, in the attic. Raccoons. <laughs> and the, most people who buy those things will tell you, you know what? It would have been easier starting from scratch because you get in and then you have to redo everything yeah. because everything's fallen apart. Or, um, or there's no insulation, and so that's kind of hard to live in. You have to, yeah, strip it all completely back to the beginning. And so, <clears throat> so we said, okay, well, that's. I don't know. That really doesn't make sense. We might as well 
start from scratch, right? And so what we ended up doing is we first found the property. Uh, we found a small piece of uh, wooded property in, in Maine, coastal Maine, and we bought that property. And it was kind of ideal because um, already on the, um, the property site was a, a double-wide manufactured home. Um, and so we, we, we bought this because we were able to get into that on the property that we loved, but not be renting somewhere else, renting a house where we have some property we're trying to build on and just all of the complications of that. So we were able to move right onto the property and that's what we've been doing for, we've been in there for seven years now. So the plan is to, to sell that building and uh, have that moved off and then raise this house that we were going to put here, our, our ideal house. So when we were driving um, through um, Ellsworth, Maine, uh, we saw this uh, old, clearly long abandoned, uh, not quite dilapidated, but getting you know, there, getting, getting there, <clears throat> uh, Cape House that uh, had a for sale sign, a real estate sign. And I pulled over and looked in the windows and my wife said, oh, that's, you know, that's the house. Everybody knows that house. It's right there at the corner of this, uh, you know, kind of direct route. And everybody knows that old house has been there untouched and they all admire it. And I saw it had a real estate sign. So I looked up the listing. I looked in the windows and I saw <clears throat> that, um, that all of the, the parlor trim, uh, the two front parlors, there's a one parlor is the uh, from the federal style and one is Greek revival style. Uh, the front staircase, all that stuff I could see was totally original, totally untouched, plus a bunch of dirt and accretions and yeah. you know whatever. Um, but all of that was intact. It was like people just walked away a hundred years ago. It looked like through the window, um, <clears throat> and so. I thought, wow, this is really special. What's going on here? And I looked up the listing, and the the property was listed. It was the the selling points. No house was mentioned. Right. The picture of it was there, but the house wasn't even mentioned. I don't think. Uh, but it, the selling points were that already had a driveway. Yeah. And it already had a well. Yeah. <clears throat> so, it was you know being sold as property as land. Yeah. So the obvious assumption is someone's going to have to bulldoze this thing and get rid of it. So I, uh, ironically, uh, so I was, I, I checked this out and then I think it was the next day or the day after or something, my wife and I, we had, um, this dinner date with some, some new friends from our homeschool co-op. And so we were driving up the road and this old house that we were looking at, uh, was on the way. And so I kind of stopped and showed my wife a few things that I saw and, oh, look at this. And so we continued on to the dinner date and, um, went to these people's house and we started to get to know them for the first time. So, okay, where'd you come from and what's your background and, you know, whatever, that kind of thing. And asked them if they knew anything about that house up the road and, do you know, who's selling that or what the story is? And, and they didn't. Um, but as we started uh, talking and it was, you know, a great evening and sharing and laughing and we said, oh my goodness, we have like the same story in so many different ways. It was just such a great evening. <laughs> And uh, then at the, uh, as we were talking about this house, um, the guy said to me, uh, he's like, hey, you know, if you, if you have any, um, if you need any help with that house, if you end up pursuing that, I'd love to help out with that. And I said, oh, sure. Yeah, that'd be great. Uh, and that guy is Mike. Yeah. <laughs> that was how I met Mike. And so what ended up happening 
is uh, my wife and I worked out a deal with the family. This house has never left the family. Um, and so they've had it for 200 years and they uh, still do haying across the street and they still um, have a, they're like all their houses are encircled around this thing. Yeah. But none of them were able to or wanted to invest in totally rebuilding the house on its site. But they all had these strong sentimental attachments, yeah. but just couldn't like swing it. The it family just, cemetery is right the there. The family cemetery is across the street. Yeah. yeah it's like it's <clears throat> all right there. And they, they told me so many stories about roughhousing through the living room and, you know, uh, ghost stories. And it's yeah. like, you know, all that kind of stuff. The classic stuff. Um, gold buried in the basement, you know? Yeah, we heard about <clears throat> uh, that. Didn't find it. <clears throat> At least I'm not saying if we found it. <laughs> so basically the family really uh, was excited about what we were uh, hoping to do. And we uh, made a, an agreement with them that we would uh, carefully disassemble the building. That was our thing. We want to put it back. So we said, if you give us, you know, two and a half, three months or something, we will carefully take it apart. And, and take it off to restore it. And so um, we basically bought it for the price of materials, mm-hmm. <laughs> plus three months of labor with friends doing all this work. It was a massive project to take it down, but um, that's how this thing started. It was uh, seeing this this house that everybody in, in the town valued and appreciated, but no one knew how to go about restoring it to any degree of glory. Or no one really had the desire to, but wanted someone to do it. And so it just was sort of the right place at the right time. Um, it felt that way. But, you know, it, it sat there for right. 30 years. Yeah. And everybody looked at it and said, hmm, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. And so I think it's one of those things that <clears throat> it's been a lesson to me that it felt so like, oh, I can't believe it was right there. It was just the right moment. But also, you all probably drive past places that are special that yeah. people overlook, whether it's a house or some wooded lot or whatever. Um, and I think that's that's more common than we realize because we're so on our track and yep. we just kind of look for what's the most efficient way to get to work? Well, I'm going to drive that way. Right. Take the highway. Yeah. You know, maybe there's a back road with a beautiful old cape, you know. So yeah. What what might you be missing that yeah. could uh, that could be the thing you've been looking for? Yep. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is awesome to me. I just see it as very uh, serendipitous <laughs> the way all that happened. And yep. uh, so we, um, I I worked with you guys off and on. You had a crew of other volunteers and helpers. And and I know your, your dad was there. There's some really awesome pictures of you and your dad in the building just covered in uh, gunk. Like we found some gunk in there. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I remember like, was it the first day I went to help? And I was like, you said that the ceilings upstairs had to come down. I'm like, all right. <laughs> so I went up with the pry bar and the big, was that the, the first day that might've been, yeah, welcome I'm to not the project. sure. Can and you... so I like sink my claw hammer into the ceiling plaster upstairs and I pulled down like a century of raccoon poop <laughs> onto <laughs> like, your head, a massive cloud. And I was like. Oh wow, there's a lot. Of, there's a lot of nasty stuff up there. Hmm. Maybe I should keep my mouth closed. Sorry about that. Oh, it was it was great. It's a good uh, as a baptism into the the whole project, really. Um, so 
Yeah, we we started going to town. Uh, not all of it was aggressive hammer work. Most of it was very cautious, and A like all the interior and... studs were labeled. Um, all the interior trim was carefully removed. Yeah. Um, so you hired, you brought on a, a, a professional <clears throat> to kind of advise the yeah. project, right? I mean, uh, yeah, that's the thing. So this was all just bootstrapping it the whole way. I didn't have any money for this. I mean, it was ironic because I was running a furniture restoration business, you know, mm-hmm. self-employed furniture restorer in rural Maine, you know, yeah. <laughs> like trying to feed who, my Who had my this family. crazy idea maybe to start a magazine? Well, not even yet. At this <laughs> time, I just was um, a little furniture conservator, you know, living paycheck to paycheck, trying to get this, this, um, this business to work and feed my family. Um, and we wanted to build our own house. So we had to approach this from a really budget-minded way. And so uh, I couldn't just hire a specialist or some, you know, professional to come take it down. And so, but I also knew enough that I, to know that I didn't have those skills. And so I knew how to work wood, but, you know, how to deal with the historic uh, structure I was not familiar with. And so I I hired a guy uh, to help with that. And um, he had been working on uh, timber frames throughout uh, Maine and northern New England uh, for his his whole life. Um, and he was basically an advisor uh, yeah. in the process. Uh, he was there with me each step of the way. I could call him. He stopped over at the job site like once a week or something. And I said, okay, so this is what you guys have done. Here's how you're going to do the next step. Here are some methods for removing those tenons carefully and right. all that kind of stuff. And obviously at some of the critical moments of the frame frame coming down. He was there the whole time. Um, and so I hired this guy, Mark Myers, um, and he advised, uh, throughout the, the whole time to make sure, right. <laughs> make sure I didn't. He was a vi- valuable, valuable guy to have. Around. Oh yeah. <laughs> he knew some little tricks like to, uh, you could call them hacks if you were, yeah. you know, trying to be annoying, but he knew, <laughs> he knew some cool ways of doing things that yep. really saved uh, a lot of elbow grease. Well, so like one example is, um, the floorboards, uh, a lot of the floorboards in, in the parlors and upstairs, they were, you know, 16, 18 inches wide, um, pine boards. So how would you, and, and they were fastened down, of course, with nails, they're nailed down through. Right. So how would you carefully, gently pry these whole this whole board up intact without cracking it because right. they're nailed down. If you pull up on one edge, it's yeah. just going to split gonna right split down, down, the, down middle. the middle. So he actually had uh, a, a blacksmith or some uh, some someone with a welder or something make him these custom pry tools. Uh, it's kind of like a, a massive pry bar a little bit um, that he was able to sneak across 18-inch wide boards and yeah. pop the far nail. Yeah. It was like an 18 inch long arm. So, yeah. So, like, like underneath, slip, slip underneath the yeah. board and pop up the, the far nail. So, he had all this kind of stuff that was just super helpful to us. Um, but also, I mean, along the whole way, he was saying, because I was saying to him, all right, I got to put this back together. So, what is the, what's the method here? How do mm-hmm. I know what I'm doing? <clears throat> it's easy to take something down. Yeah. Like, how do you even start labeling stuff? Yeah. Like, this goes here. Yeah. Or, you know, is it is it letters? Is it numbers? Is it Roman numerals? Is it yeah. how do you do it? Yeah. So um, so Mark, basically, I, I, I what I ended up doing was taking 
thousands of photographs of every nook and cranny of that place. Um, and then I, so I have, I'd photograph each wall and then I printed it out in black and white. I modified it in Photoshop to lighten it yep. so I could see the outline of everything, but it wasn't just a black picture. And I printed them all out and I went to the job site and that was like my map. And so I wrote on P1, P2, P3, you know, whatever. Yep. And then as the trim came down, that was our guide to say, make sure that on the back of that trim, yep. it says, it says P1C. Yep. Okay, got it. <laughs> and so all of that stuff got bundled together. Um, and so we were able to keep track of everything. So now I have all this this labeling. And even if it's not the the most genius system someone could come up with, uh, at least it's all clear. P1C. Yep. Okay. Oh, that's this that's, piece. Great. Yep. So um, that was a, a big puzzle to try to figure out how do you even put all this back together? Because none of this is regular. Every piece, right. uh, every every board, every timber is funky and weird and custom fit to that particular location. So They're not interchangeable. Not interchangeable in the slightest. So trying to um, foresee that was, uh, was tricky. Mm-hmm. Um, but having it all labeled and having it all in one spot uh, now it really helps to kind of yeah put the pieces back together yeah all that trim is currently in a winter storage upstairs in the blacksmith shop yep um, so it's it's all laid out bundled together um, we we took some time this fall was it to go mm-hmm. through that trailer and pull stuff out and start getting organized all the the timbers in the trim were in a big 55 foot trailer yep that uh, Joshua, you bought on an island and had... Oh, yeah. That was great. <laughs> that was okay. crazy. So don't tell anybody. <laughs> but uh, so we, uh, a friend of mine, uh, he restored a 1730s Massachusetts house. And he was telling me, hey, the thing you can do if you want to store... You know, where do you store a house? Right. Those are big timbers. If you don't have a barn, a massive barn, where do you put a house disassembled? Obviously, once it's disassembled, it's not the same size as the houses are mostly empty space yeah but that's still a huge stack of material um so where do you put you know 31 foot eight by eights i don't know and you you don't want to just stack them in your yard you know especially because i knew we weren't going to put it up in a few months so he said what you want to do is you want to uh buy a a box trailer um so that you can have this trailer sitting in your property because that's what he did and he said it's so so slick. You can buy this trailer. Uh, somebody, you can load it up at the job site. Uh, someone can drive it over, drop it off in your yard, mm-hmm. and you can work out of it. And then when you're done, you just you have it. an empty box trailer. Yeah, you can sell. You yeah. know, you can get rid of it. So it's not like it's you're not renting storage from someone. It's not you're not really wrecking it. You're just keeping stuff dry. So um, I was looking for one of those and. You found a, a particularly oh, sketchy one. Yeah. So <laughs> Craigslist, uh, there's this little uh, main island that had one for sale. And I, I can't remember <clears throat> what the deal was, but either it was talking to the guy who sold it to me or in the listing. It, like the guy was having a hard time selling it because it's yep, on this island. It's on an island. You got to pay to barge it off. You, yeah. You have to pay to have someone haul it on the ferry, I think is what yep. it was, and bring it over. And no one wanted to mess with that. So I think he sold it to me for five hundred dollars, which is laughably cheap. Yeah, that should have been you know, at least Thousands. at least yeah. fifteen hundred. Yeah, know? it's used and old, but um, so it was pretty 
pretty uh, rusty and you know not like not ideal. But it had all the tires, yeah, was, which held all of which held air. Yeah, totally. So it's drivable, right? Yeah. And so this guy uh, picked it up early morning. He said he's he's I'll go I'll go get it early. I think morning. they call that hot footing it <laughs> when you're like I'm just gonna hot foot it out like yeah. before the sun before comes before the up. sun comes up. Yeah. So you picked up this trailer, and he said when he showed up at my house um, later, you know, once he got there, um, he told me that he got a few miles down the road and he looked back and there were flames shooting out of the hmm. out of the brakes because mm-hmm. uh, everything is seized up. So he cut all the brakes. <laughs> <laughs> like you do when you're hot-footing it. <laughs> <laughs> and he brought it over and yeah. parked it in my, my yard. Yeah. So um, that's worked great uh, to keep it all... I mean, it's... A, wicked eyesore it's just so ugly mm-hmm. but it's got a house in it it's a windbreak too it, it's a windbreak it's a solid part of your driveway situation right now yeah so i'm excited to get rid of it uh but so that's the that's the process of of trying to get this thing stored um mm-hmm. you know but we have um taking this stuff apart putting it in this trailer trying to haul it off trying to coordinate um volunteer and paid help to be able to you know Hey, are you available next week for any time? And oh, you got Thursday afternoon for a few hours. Oh, cool. Would you be able to help with? <laughs> All that was just so intense. And again, I'm still trying to keep uh, checks coming, and I'm trying to take care of furniture, and I'm trying to, you know, I got this young family, so it's just absolute chaos trying to make this happen. I remember. So I mean, and in that time, it was. One afternoon after we had finished with the house, we went, uh, you and me and who else was there that day? We went into town to get ice cream, to get like an ice cream cone. Yeah, I don't remember who was there. But... And you you brought with you <laughs> issue zero, right? Yeah. There, issue said... zero of M&T. <clears throat> this is the mock-up issue of which only two copies exist, three, right? Three. Three copies exist of issue zero of M&T. Yeah. So I said, hey, Mike, we're in the midst of taking it down. I, said, I got this idea. Mm-hmm. What if there was like a woodworking <laughs> magazine that had, and I, you know, yeah. described M&T. And he's like, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. Sounds great. I was like, because I think I'm going to start a magazine. <laughs> and I, so at this point, I didn't know this Joshua Klein so well. So a lot of people, <clears throat> when they're in the midst of a big project. Oh, like, I was writing a book at the time. Yes, you were writing a book for Lost Art really? Press. <laughs> so a lot of people, when they have this like, this life-consuming project, it it like takes up all their their bandwidth, right? And they they're like, I'm gonna focus on this. I'm gonna get it done. Well, in the midst of that, uh, this this Joshua Klein guy, uh, he has all these other things in his mind too. He's like, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna start a magazine. I've never done it before, but you know, I think like I want this kind of magazine, and it's not available, so I'm just gonna do it. And, you know, like he's doing all this research on um, Jonathan Fisher, this local uh, parson and furniture maker and really jack of every single trade you can imagine. Um, so Joshua's doing this research to write a book for Lost Art Press and writing this book. And uh, so I was like, wow, that's that sounds like a lot. Are you doing these one at a time or like all at once? But... Um, but that's the way he he works. You know, he has, it, it's not just like one thing and then, you know, you let that consume you, but he always has these like visions for further down the line to see how things, uh, 
these things that can come in the future and uh, and become these amazing ideas. So uh, we were grimy and disgusting and sitting and eating ice cream cones, and I was looking at issue zero, and I'm like, wow, this is really going to be something different. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> uh, so I was <clears throat> that was in my mind at that time as well, um, this magazine idea, and just thinking, wow, like that – what all is involved in that? Like, what? What is that? What even I was look wondering like? too. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the the wheels were spinning um, for me at that point. Yeah. So it was it was a crazy wild ride taking this thing down, and um, you know, I remember actually the uh, when I started MNT, there was an Instagram page for the um, the magazine even before issue one came out. It mm-hmm. was kind of a promotional thing in the beginning uh before anything was released i started this little instagram page and um if you look at the first few posts there you'll see pictures of this house project they're way buried you know long back uh six years ago but um but yeah that was sort of like the the genesis of m&t was in the Mm -hmm. same time period so since then We've not really talked about it much at all. Right. The it's, house came down and went into the trailer and came over here. Yeah. And so um, it's not because we forgot or we lost interest. It's, um, you know, I have to set up my life so I can, you know, give full attention to putting this thing back up. Uh, my wife and I, we, we homeschool and we have um, farm animal stuff and we've got this business. And so... Um, there's just a lot to do and to take care of. So we had to figure out how can we dedicate all this time and financial resources we've been saving up to be able to um, build a house. Uh, so it's taken us this, all this time to do that. And so we're at this place that we uh, finally are there. We're finally able to start uh, scheduling and planning. Let's let's do this. Let's do this repair and then that repair and we'll bring in this material and get so-and-so to help. And we have the, the calendar laid out. Um, rough draft of the calendar. Right. Um, we have the optimistic calendar, and then we're looking at the the realist or pessimist. I don't know. It's yeah. either pessimist or realist calendar, and just saying, okay, so what what does this look like? Yeah, we have a plan we have a pile of delays. B, C, and D for yeah. every step. Yeah, <laughs> almost. <clears throat> so yeah, I mean, so that's the plan. Is um, right now, you know, as of this recording, it's the end of January. And we are hoping to raise the frame uh, in in summer. Uh, so there's a lot that has to happen. Um, yeah. There are a lot of moving parts. A lot has to be coordinated. Uh, we have foundation work. We have, uh, I, I'm, my wife and I will be moving into a small timber frame that we put up in the yeah. last few years. Yeah, it a, was a like a, a shed barn thing, yeah. which has been, it. well, we're going to finish the renovation yeah. work on so it. It's, so it's, it's like a, a tiny house, space. Yep. basically. Uh, so, so you'll be in there for five or six years while we <laughs> <laughs> no uh, a year at most. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you can <clears throat> you can already get the sense like, whoa, how would you do this? You know, how are you going to keep homeschooling in a tiny house as you're building a house and running a business? And mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, I, I know I get that. Yeah, uh, it's it's going to be chaos, um, but. Uh, we have we that's why we've been working so long on trying to figure out how could we pull it off. Um, so we're there. We're ready to to do it. Um, Mike and I have been drawing up uh, plans, uh, 
you know, we're going to be modifying the rafter uh, layout a little bit in that we're going to be adding a shed dormer to the back of the house yep. rather than having, uh, because it's a cape house, meaning all the rafters seat down at the plates upstairs. Yeah. So there's no knee wall. So the upstairs is like, you think of it like an attic. Like yeah, the only the middle third the is like full height. Yeah. And then you go out to the, the sides and the rafters, you, you walk into rafters with yep. your forehead. And there are no windows on, on the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you just have the little windows at the end. That is where all the bedrooms were in the house. And that's where we're going to put bedrooms back. But we said, okay, we would like a little bit more floor space and we would like more light. So we're talking about how to modify the five-sided ridge beam to make one large uh, shed roof dormer on the back so we can basically like add a little knee wall essentially without yep. you know radically modifying and you know messing up the frame as it is right i mean so that um the house as it stood there um before you took it down had two dormers uh two later dormers on yep. the, the front of the house which came off yep um and so you're basically going to leave those off and then add a an almost full width dormer to the back side of the house. Yeah, right. Um, and that, while utilizing all the original rafters as much as possible. Yeah, it's basically just for those rafters, change the angle. Yeah, you know, uh, bring the the tails up and and have them seat down instead of on the the plate. Have them seat higher. So we're yeah. gonna put a so we're gonna, gonna add a, a timber or something there yeah. and make a new knee wall. Um, so. In terms of uh, restoration work on that frame, we know for a fact that there are some members missing that yep. we are going to have to uh, come up with. Mm-hmm. Uh, sills were toast, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. Uh, sills are toast. That's almost a given in yeah. any project like this. That the sills are where all the moisture is with the um, in the you know first floor joists. Everything that's down in the cellar gets damp, gets wet, wet and yeah. you have moisture issues. And then, you know, you pour concrete to try to stabilize the rotting foundation mm-hmm. and then it traps moisture in there and then, you know, it just makes yeah. it worse. Yeah, so centuries of, of repair and maintenance work on that. So basically just, it's done. Yeah. So that, there are a few posts. The back of the house had been um, messed around with in Victorian times, right? They added a little kitchen addition. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did some hacking of back posts, very creative hacking. Yeah, they wanted a window right where one of the right posts where a post was. was. So they just cut, <laughs> cut the, the middle of the out. eight by eight post out so they yeah. can put a window right yeah. in that spot. Yeah, I don't know. That's this is a great idea. <clears throat> um, and what, if I remember correctly, the one corner of the whole structure was being held up by the sheathing. Is that right? No. Is that nope? Uh, it there was a, a a leak at the corner is what it was. Okay, and it had been I don't know it must have been I'm guessing now ten years before we got to it. The um, the owner of the property um, he had a carpenter come in and fill in the corner with some laminated two by eights. Okay, so replacing that rotten post with laminated two by eights. So it was really rotten. Yes. Mm. But by the time they I got there, slapped in some, something, to, some stuff to, to hold, hold it, up. it up, which is good because, of course, yeah. had they not done that, the house would the house would not be in existence yeah. anymore. Yep. <clears throat> so um, we will be uh, sourcing those timbers and and hewing 
a few members, right? Or utilizing yeah. the barn we took down this summer. Yeah, so we took down another timber frame this, yeah. this summer because we want to... The house is 30 by 34, which is, frankly, more than enough for a family of two parents and three kids. Mm-hmm. However, uh, you know, people these days uh, tend to want a little bit more space. Um, and also we needed some replacement timbers, as we mentioned. So we took down a very small barn um, this summer. Uh, this barn is actually, it's only, I think it's 20 by 24. Right. Um, but it's actually a little bit earlier than the house. Yeah, it, we were beautifully struck by that. Gorgeous frame. And so we took that one down. Um, that didn't have all the trim and all the details. So we we completed that project from showing up on day one of yep. the job site to driving away in a week and a half. Yep. We took it all down. Yeah, we peeled all the roof shingles off, all the cedar shingles off the side. We um, popped apart. And that that barn had a um, like a 20th century edition on one side, all nailed Which was together. a wood shop, yeah, which is really that, cool. That was the wood shop. But that that part was kind of hard to get apart because it was all nailed and oh, yeah. big big spikes so holding we should, it together. We should talk about that. So people talk about um, uh, hand wrought nails and mm-hmm. cut nails yeah. versus wire nails or right. round nails and the holding power. And they all say, oh, the cut nails, they really hold yeah, so well. Way better and than the these And the hand wrought nails, yeah. they really hold well. But it's all, once the wire nails came in, everything just falls apart after that. Yeah. Ask any old house restorer about that. Yeah, what their preference is. Yeah. Because the thing about these um, hand wrought nails and cut nails is they're all tapered. They're wedges. All the shanks are tapered. So as soon as things get a little bit loose, they just. It just pop. It flies right out. Which is great from a preservation standpoint because you can very easily take everything apart. Yeah. You know what really is bad? Yeah. Wire nails. Wire nails, especially when they're like four and a half inches long. And rusted. Yeah. Like crazy. So. Those the, they're nearly permanent. Like yeah, some of those things, get those things, we apart. cut the the boards apart because there was no prying or hammering them apart in yeah. places. Um, yeah, so, wire nails have magnificent holding power. Yeah. Now, <laughs> granted, if they're nice and smooth shanks, and you just build a little box, and you you know we've all had experience where we have our kids nail a little box together, and it kind yeah. of slides apart. Yeah. So, I think the real issue is not so much um, the, the the roundness or the squareness, but I think the issue is is more that the texture on it, yep. and the fact that wire uh, wire nail shanks are straight and not tapered. Mm-hmm. Tapered is kind of crazy. You actually, I really like the um, hand wrought nails that are not tapered shanks. They're pretty yep. much square, and they just at the very end come to, to a, a point. point. Yeah. Um, but those wedge shaped cut nails, as soon as they get a little bit loose, they just that come stuff out. is just popping free. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I love those nails. They're yeah. cool. But if you're going to say, I love them because they hold better than wire nails, uh, yeah. you don't really have We We would an disagree with that. Uh, so all those, you have to do is take down an old house yeah. and you'll see what we mean. Yeah, especially if you have you know some sheathing nailed up with cut nails and some with wire nails. Oh you gosh. will know which is easier. Yeah, not even quickly. a contest. Um, so we got that barn down. That that barn, I think, was maybe one of the highlights of Mike C's year as well. I think he he really enjoyed. He loves it. Getting up there on that super spongy second floor, <laughs> and uh, and lifting timbers, lifting roof timbers. Yeah, I think that that made his yeah. his week. 
Yeah, I think he liked the ground. Yeah, he yeah. The ground actually is nice and solid. I've found too. It it doesn't give so much. Yeah. It doesn't crack when you walk on it. Um. So the barn will it, that's going to be an integral part of this project. Yeah. So that's an addition. Um. That's sort of like an entryway thing. We will use two of the three bents from that barn, and so the third bent we don't want the whole barn. So the third bent is going to be um, material that we can use yeah. to make posts out of and stuff like that. Yeah. So that's what we're in the process of right now, figuring out, okay, what do we actually have? <clears throat> what do we need to replace? What's repairable? Where can we get this material? So right. it's a big <clears throat> puzzle. It's, we have to look at this and say, hmm, yeah. how is this going to, how is this particular situation going to be solved? Yeah. And especially since the idea in, in the completed and insulated structure is that there are parts of the frame that will be seen and visible yep. like we'll have frame members with plaster in between them yep. like we'll do the laths and the plaster but we'll still see the frame and so we need to make sure that that the old frame from the barn matches the visible frame members from the house yep um and so yeah it's going to be interesting it's going to be a really unique exercise yeah and just a little aside um this whole project is one of the one of the primary um, inspirations behind launching the Daily Dispatch. It is. Um, we share about furniture making stuff right now, but as we're talking about the house, we wanted, we said, how can this house project is going to be so cool? People wonder about old house restoration. They wonder about how do you insulate? How do you fix the joinery? How are these old things put together? All that kind of stuff. And I said, you know, we were saying in the midst of this project, we're not going to write a blog post every day right. explaining everything. I, there's no way. We yeah. can't do that. So how can we share this? Um, how can we share everything in a way that's really um, sustainable for yeah. us? And and sim like we can, uh, we're up at the, the peak of the roof, right? Putting rafters in and one of us can pop out of our phone or a camera and shoot a video and post that right away. Yeah. Like, and that is simple and but it also gives uh gives us not it not only gives us a record of what was going on so on one day so we can doing. go back and say oh yeah that's the day we did that but it also is a, a great way of sharing all those really particular details yep. that um even something like a blog post can't quite capture like yep. to have that up close view of what's going on i think is going to be super uh, super special yeah and i think uh, you know, I've been reading books about restoring old houses, and um, there are some, you know, YouTube videos out there showing some aspects. But I mean, obviously, none of that is comprehensive. And so, this is pretty cool to be able to, like, in the moment, be documenting this. And then we have, even right now, we have uh, dispatch subscribers, uh, dispatch followers, people who are watching, saying, "Hey, could you show us mm -hmm. what you, what kind of files you have and rasps you have?" Right. And I go, "Oh, sure, yeah. I'll make a video tomorrow yeah. about it." So it's this <clears throat> this back and forth sort of um, discussion with other people. So in the midst of the house project, I fully expect people, our content will be steered by what people are commenting, saying, oh, is this like yeah. that? Because I one time restored a house that had this. We can go, I don't know. Let's yeah. You're right. It is like that. Yeah. I mean, so. already we're getting, um, you put up a post the other day about this uh, unique way that that house is framed, right? Yep. It has what we would think of as uh, plates, but they're in three pieces, front yeah. and back, and it's all split up. And there's this crazy joint where these these girts come together and they tie in, and it's like, 
it's almost like the whole end of the timber is almost all joinery from multiple directions. There's a rafter that comes down and ties in. And then these, these two uh, plates come in from the sides and then there's a post underneath. Mm-hmm. And, and the rafter sits in the top. Yeah, right? the rafter sits right in the top. And so we're like, this is all joint. There's like no wood here. <laughs> but um, we're like, what do you call this? Because we think of like tie beams or we think of girts or we think of... Um, and it's not Plates. a gunstock post. If, if you're listening, you say, that's kind of like a gunstock post. No, it's not like that. Right. It's different. It's different. And so uh, we, we Joshua wrote uh, an explanation with pictures on the dispatch, and um, somebody uh, pointed out this great reference in a, a Jack Sobin book about this very same method of framing, which from what we'd heard was was pretty unique. It was Yeah, Mark Myers, the guy yeah. I hired, the specialist. He's like, well, he did I, not believe me. I don't know. So when I was on the phone and we we got the sheathing off and I, we all expected the front and back plates, of course, yeah, to be a single be piece, a single piece plate or scarfed mm-hmm. to make up the length, but it's it's a one continuous piece thing. It's a plate. And so I took down the sheathing and got to it. And I was on the phone with him. I said, "So Mark, this is what I'm looking at. I'm seeing tenons coming in and where the rafter i'm looking in the the rafter mortise after we you took can the rafters the, down i could see these tenons and he said no 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 i mean like up on the second story the front yeah. of the house I, I know mark that's what i'm <laughs> looking at and he said wait no that's that's one piece up there i said no it's not it's they're they're tenoned in they're little there's there are three pieces not one piece and he's like no that's not right yeah <laughs> but he didn't believe me and he came and saw the at the project and he's like huh I've never seen that before. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, great. Yeah. So well, what does that mean? Yeah. But, and so we'll talk about that. It's interesting because there are pros and cons to that way of constructing. I, I'm already thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the the main pros to that is that um, not only from a design standpoint, you can continue to add on mm-hmm. easily, but also um, from a raising standpoint, it's super easy to raise it by hand. Right. Uh, those, like a, 34 foot long plate you know it's really hard to you have to deal with that and then this and all like it's it involves more people Mm -hmm. and of course that has been done uh, many times in the past but um this interrupted plate system uh offers uh, the advantage for a small crew to be able to raise by hand right which was presumably the reason why that method was used yeah you know i'd imagine that maybe it was so it's the 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 jordan house so maybe it was the Jordan family, you know, mm-hmm. the the elder, his brother, maybe a few older sons doing the hewing and raising of this building. And they said, okay, we we want to try and deal with smaller members, so let's do it this way. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that that's really fascinating to think about. I mean, all the, the aspects of design um, incorporated the very practical considerations of how to raise this thing yep. if you don't have a massive crew. Yeah, and it's cool too because... Um, so the Jordan family owned a sawmill at, mm-hmm. on, on the river there at the end of their property. And it's cool because um, it's framed in an earlier style. Like it's all a hewn frame. The major members are hewn, but then there are some sawn members too, mm-hmm. um, some four by eights that are within the wall. And it's just really interesting to see the joists are sawn as well. And so you can see, we knew that in 1790, the Jordans had a sawmill. Yeah. On the property. Right there across the, well, the road was presumably a path or a wagon, a yeah. cart path or something. Right. So down down towards the river, 
there was the the sawmill there. So it was interesting because you look at these sawn members in this um, in this frame, and you'd say, "Oh, well, sawn members. That's a little bit later." N- not no. if you're the yeah. sawmill you own owner the mill. in 1790. <laughs> yeah, and it is interesting because the, there are sawn members throughout it, but it's all the smaller stuff. Mm-hmm. The bigger eight by eights were presumably felled a lot closer. Yeah. Just hewn. Why From would you haul that log yeah. all the way down to the river to mill it to yeah. bring it back up? You just right. hew it. Yeah. So it's really fascinating to see that story put together. And we found hand wrought nails and cut nails. And so this, there's like this, it's this bridge of time periods. So this 1810 time period makes sense that there still were some hand wrought nails, but it was mostly cut nails. It's really this, this like, um, detective puzzled mm-hmm. as we pulled the layers away we said oh <clears throat> what is that yeah you know so. yeah i mean some of the the most fun things i think the more fun discoveries were like how they they insulated and i'm doing air quotes now uh upstairs once we got the plaster off uh, on the backs of the sheathing boards they had glued newspapers mm-hmm. to to block the breeze from blowing through yeah. Uh, and those newspapers, some of them dated from the, if I'm re- remembering, uh, 1850s? Yeah, I think it's 1850s, um, close to that. So that was a, you know, a, a modern yeah. <laughs> modern edition of insulation up there. They yeah. glued newspapers to the backs of the sheathing boards to, to block the breeze. Well, and it's so cool uh, to see because in the back of the house, there was one corner one remaining corner that the window was constructed in an 18th century manner mm-hmm. and all the trim, the wainscot and the chair rail yeah, and all that kind all, of stuff was 18th century stuff. style construction, right? And then uh, most of that had been renovated, but there was this one back corner that was left original, uh, just like a back closet or something. So you see, can see what was in the back of the house. And then you go to one parlor, and it's the federal parlor. Right. So it's that's an this... early 1800s. Yeah. So exactly. So it's it's this federal <clears throat> style, and you say, okay, well, so this is kind of the next generation of right. of interest. And they said, oh wow, yeah, the federal. We should do our trim like this, yeah. you know. And then you go over to the other parlor, and it's the next. It's stage, Greek revival, so mid 1800s. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like 1830s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so. Yeah, so the Greek Revival time period. And then you go upstairs to the bedrooms and you start seeing 1850s newspaper Mm -hmm. and um, 1860s and 70s, and you're seeing machine-planed boards nailed up. Right. You're like, you're seeing this gradual progression um, throughout the house. And even the kitchen, I think uh, elements of the kitchen were 20th century. So there's that Victorian trim in the dining room also that was that's that's not going back in yeah right (laughs) yeah (laughs) a little bit a little bit gaudy yeah so um it's just this it's this uh material document of this time period and and this family and how they how the generations interacted with each other that I, I love it because the earliest generation still has its fingerprint in that house yeah and all that the prior generations are doing are adding to and building on. Mm-hmm. They didn't come up and like right now with the house market, the past you know year and a half has been crazy. Yeah. And houses are being sold up or sold and bought up and just leveled, yeah. wipe stuff out. Oh, this is all this old stuff. Let's n- yeah. knock all let's take all the nice old windows and pitch them in the dumpsters because yeah. we want to restore and put this in house. vinyl. 
Yeah. yeah. Oh my goodness. It's bad. So it's wiping out uh, prior generations to be able to do what the new modern improved way we know mm-hmm. is, which will become you know irrelevant and completely dated in twenty or so years. Yeah. You know? When the argon gas seal on your windows yeah. fails, they fog out. They go to the picture. landfill. So. Yeah, I mean, so it's cool to see this house is sort of embodying this building on the generations of the past. I'm not saying, of course, every generation consciously said, how do we honor our ancestors? Right. But it was a practical consideration. They said, why would we... Why would we, we change that? We don't have the means to, and why would we just erase everything that has been done? Let's continue finishing this mm-hmm. this beautiful home we're building. Um, and my dad finished this thing and my you know my brother-in-law came and helped with that and if that's done yeah. i'm going to get to the the next <clears throat> step that isn't done and they but they all got like each generation was adding their own um interest and their own the, the style of the time they would add that in so you can walk through the house and it's like a, a tour through history yeah it's so awesome yeah yeah and so uh we're going to be getting that up this summer, the frame restored and raised, uh, and then finished off yeah, room gonna, by room over the generations. Right? Yeah, just, and, like the, just like the original. Exactly. It'll take me, you know, a hundred years to. Yep. <laughs> no, no. Um, and then, yeah. So we will be insulating it, um, and also there was a, a massive central chimney in the house. Um, and I have a friend who's a, a historic mason. He works on historic houses. And um, the plan is to, um, we're going to restore the central chimney, and the plan is to incorporate a masonry heater into Mm -hmm. the the whole mass. So there's like the bread oven door on the side is actually going to be a masonry heater so that we can have this long, slow, radiating heat out of the center of the house. Um, So I think it'll be a really good system. He's a big fan of that system. He thinks it's a great idea too rather than trying to heat my house with an open hearth. Right. You know, we're going to have this masonry heater. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, it's going to be a huge, exciting project. It's uh, something that uh, we're going to talk about all the time, uh, upcoming. And uh, I guess stay tuned. Subscribe to the Dispatch um, and and check out what we got going on, because there's it's going to be exciting. Yeah, it really is. So thanks for listening to the Mortis and Tenon podcast. If you haven't already, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, if you have any comments or questions, you can leave them below. And we'll catch you next time. <laughs>